Join me in a word of prayer. Lord, take the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts. May they be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning and welcome to Christ the King. I hope that this summer and our sermon series on simple gifts has given you a chance to enjoy and consider some of God's simple gifts to us. Sleep, creation, words, work, food, friendship, and perhaps books. I want you to think about your favorite book. This is mine, To Kill a Mockingbird. It's the same copy I received junior year when I had to read it for American Studies. It's actually a hand-me-down of my brother's copy. It smells like it was printed in the late 80s. It's a bit dog-eared. And it's the only book that I've ever reread. Now, before you think less of me, I want you to think about your favorite book. Why is it precious to you? Do you flip the pages? Do you smell it? Now, this book has meant different things when I've reread it. It has reminded me about things that are true about the human experience, the bonds of family, the care and the judgment that humans show to each other, the sin of racism, the love shown from one to another. Now, why do we have a fondness for books? John Stott writes, when our spirit is lonely, we need friends. When our body is cold, we need clothes. And when our mind is bored, we need books. To admit this is not unspiritual, it is human. I want you to think about what book you might bring with you if you were to be on a desert island. You may be familiar with the show The Office. In one of my favorite episodes, the character Jim asks his colleagues that very question. What books would you bring with you if you were to be stuck on a desert island? The character Dwight responds, question, is there firewood on the island? Jim says, I guess. He says, then I would bring an axe, no books. When he's told he has to pick a book, he says, well, I would bring physician's desk reference, hollowed out, and inside waterproof matches, iodine tablets, beet seeds, protein bars, a NASA blanket, and in case I get bored, Harry Potter. <laughs> I think that we're like Dwight. Books aren't necessarily at the top of our list of essentials, but they were on Paul's list. Turn with me to our reading from 2 Timothy. Here we have Paul, the missionary veteran, writing to his protege, Timothy, while Paul is in prison. And he writes to Timothy and he asks for three things, three essentials, three things that he needs, that he longs for. We see in verse 9, he says to Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. And later on, bring that guy Mark along too. He needs the simple gift of friendship. In verse 13, he says, bring the cloak that I left. On his missionary journeys, it seems like he ditched his winter coat, too heavy to carry. Bring the cloak. He needs a coat to keep him warm. And to this very practical list, he adds to Timothy, bring the books. Of all the things he could have asked for in prison, books? I'm pretty sure if Dwight were there, he would have said, well, give me a toothpick so that I can pick the lock. You might know the story of William Tyndale, who was a scholar at the time of the English Reformation. 
He first translated the Bible into English from Hebrew and Greek, and for his efforts, he was imprisoned by his opponents, and he was likely to die in prison. So he wrote to the governor, and he said, I entreat your lordship, and that by the Lord Jesus, that if I must remain here for the winter, would you beg the commissary to be as so kind as to send to me from the things of mine which he has, a warmer cap and also a warmer cloak. For the cloak I have is very thin. But most of all, my Hebrew Bible, grammar, and vocabulary, that I may spend my time in that pursuit. He's in prison. He's going to die. He won't see his legacy. And yet he says, bring me the books. This should shock us. Why did Tyndale value books so highly? Why did Paul? It's because Paul is a lifelong learner. And you and I, as Christians, should be. We should be those who seek to discover the true things about God in the world, who seek wisdom. We should want to know more about God and the world he's created. From our records in scripture, we know that Paul was a student. A student of scripture, yes. He followed the wisdom of Joshua 1.8 and of Psalm 119, which is on the front of your leaflet, which says he meditates on God's word day and night. And Paul was also a student of culture. How else would he have been able to communicate with the diverse people that he encountered on his missionary journeys? Now keep in mind that this Paul who says, bring me the books, is the same Paul who writes, if you think that you have reasons to be confident, I have more. He calls himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were known for knowing their books. He was an expert in the law. He was a preacher, a missionary, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was an apostle. He had met Jesus. He had written most of the New Testament as we have it. And yet he says, bring me the books. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote, the man who reads, who, uh, who never reads, will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. See, we need to be open to knowledge and to wisdom and to God's truth wherever it may be found, and so we read. We need books, not just for when we are bored at the beach, but so that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, as it says in Romans 12. And so Paul read, but we don't at least not much, and not well. I don't think we've developed the appetite. And yes, I'm aware that many of you probably have laughably long lists on Goodreads, that many of you read copiously for your jobs. But hear me out. When we do read, I think that we often read narrowly and we read superficially. C.S. Lewis observes that the breadth of our literary taste is not proved by the fondness for the books in our own library. I have a friend who's reading through a certain children's series for the fourth time this summer. Seven books in total, you likely know which one it is, about 3,000 pages. He certainly reads a lot. But in reading through Harry Potter for the fourth time, I think he's guilty of the same thing that you and I are. We just read the same things. 
or the same types of things by the same authors and yet the same messages. And we miss out on the beauty of poetry, the, listen, the lessons to be learned from history, the reflections of the human experience that we would learn from a good novel or story. We miss out on deepening our understanding of the common language of humanity. And when it comes to the Bible, I think we read narrowly there as well. We return to a few familiar passages and we miss out on the rich depth of scripture, poetry, beauty, wisdom, the depth of God's love for us in Christ. Now turn back to our passage. Might seem odd, I'm preaching on barely half a verse about books and we don't really even know what books these were and what was contained in these parchments. But scholars agree that it was at least in part the Old Testament scripture, possibly writings on other topics and perhaps even early records of what has become our New Testament. See, Paul was a student of the Bible, but it was likely that his books were not just scripture. We see from his ministry that he surely read the authors of his day. He was a student of culture. So here from the pulpit, I wanna give you some shocking advice. Should you read your Bible? Absolutely, but read broadly and deeply. And should you read more than your Bible? Absolutely, but read broadly and deeply so we would know more about the world God has created, that we would grow in knowledge, in wisdom, and compassion. Read different genres, read different authors, read authors who are not like you, authors of a different ethnicity, authors of a different perspective or background of your own. Read broadly. There's an award-winning book that came out last year called On Reading Well by Karen Swallow Pryor, and she summarizes her book simply by saying, books make better people. In other words, reading well and reading wisely forms our character. She encourages Christians in this book to practice the virtue of reading promiscuously. I love that phrase, reading promiscuously. And she's actually borrowing from Milton uh, who writes that since the knowledge and survey of vice in this world is so necessary to understand human virtue, we must read promiscuously. In other words, sometimes we read in order to understand by contrast how it is we are to live. We also read superficially. I think some of us are more guilty of this than others, but we likely read 140 characters at a time, scrolling through Twitter. We skim articles, we read reviews, because who has the time to read an entire book, an entire essay, a long format article? I don't even pay to get behind the paywall of the New York Times. How can you be expected me to read more than the preview? As a note, most libraries will give you a free access behind that paywall. See, we read as if we are cramming for an exam, or as if we think we're going to be the next big thing, the next trivia whiz on Jeopardy. And we read the Bible the same way. We open it, we do the flip, close your eyes, point. What is the verse my finger and my eyes land on as if God is going to speak directly to us through that one word that we land on? How foolish. We have an appetite to learn 
And it's not satisfied by the little snacks and previews that we read. There's a real meal for us to eat. In 2 Timothy earlier, it says that there will be a time when people will not endure sound teaching, but with itching ears will accumulate teachers to suit their passions. They'll flip from one thing to the next, itching to hear something that has something to say about the truth of the world. Scholar Robert Alter writes that if we are not good readers, we'll never get to the point of understanding the sayings of the wise. And literary theorists like Alter talk about literary competence, by which they simply mean that a good reader asks the questions of what is the background and context and what is the author's purpose in writing. It's said that the right writer asks, of all the words that I could write, what should I say? And I think the question for us as we read is, of all the words I've read, what did the author say? We don't read just to pass the time, just because we're bored. We read because we think that authors actually communicate meaning to us in books. We read because we don't, we don't buy into the postmodern lie that there is no truth to be discovered, that we can't actually understand what another human is really saying. Books have meaning, and God has given us language as a gift to be able to understand each other and through scripture to understand himself. So when you read, ask that question, what is the author trying to communicate? That might seem simplistic, but I think that we often read without asking that question. And we do it with the Bible as well. Think about our our gospel lesson that we read from Luke 4. In it, we see Jesus in the synagogue. It says, as was his custom, and he read. He read and he helped people answer that question of what was the author, Isaiah, trying to communicate. He helped them understand the meaning just as he would do later in Luke where he encounters disciples on the road to Emmaus and he explains to them the meaning of the whole Old Testament. Luke 24, 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All of the Bible points us to who God is and the fulfillment of his plans in Jesus. What if we, when we read any book, asked the question, how might this point us to God? So to close, when we read, instead of reading narrowly, read widely. Instead of reading superficially, read wisely, lest we be guilty of what Mark Twain cautions. He says, the man who does not read good books has no advantage over the man who can't read at all. So read books, but with eyes and ears to hear and see more of what God has to say, more about God's world, more about ourselves. Learn about the world through history and science. Appreciate God's story by understanding the stories of our culture. Experience beauty through a good poem. And of course, read the good book, the Bible. Be formed by God's designs for the past, the present, and the future. Because God declares of his word that it is living and active. 
Whereas Psalm 119 reminds us that it is sweeter than honey to our mouths. The book of Nehemiah uh, has a story of Jerusalem being rebuilt. And as it's being, after it's being re, been rebuilt, uh, they assemble and Ezra reads the book of the law, the Old Testament that they would have had at the time to the people. It says, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Ezra had brought them the book. So let us join the cry of Ezra, of many of God's faithful people, of Paul. Bring us the books. Let us pray. God, we praise you for good books that teach us about the world, about ourselves, and about you. And we praise you for your good book. We thank you that your words are indeed breathed out by you, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Help us to read well that we might be equipped for every good work. In Jesus' name, amen.